Uh, I'm not looking for an attack dog. Not talking about crooked Hillary and all of the things that we're talking about. That's candidate Donald Trump shortly after he secured the Republican nomination for the presidency. He said he was looking for a vice president who really understands what we're talking about and have the whole thing be on policy. As far as attacking Hillary Clinton, Trump said he'd do that himself. Uh, I would like to introduce a man who I truly believe will be outstanding in every way and will be the next vice president of the United States, Governor Mike Pence. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. In July 2016, Trump announced his pick, Indiana Governor Mike Pence. So I'm here today to introduce the man who will be my partner in this campaign and the White House to fix our rigged system. We are in a rigged, rigged system. And to make America safe again and to make America great again. In this episode of Oppofile, we'll go back to Indiana to the start of Mike Pence's political rise. We'll learn how Oppo research almost ended his career before it began. And I think voters are very forgiving, but one thing they are very reluctant to forgive is if there's hypocrisy. I don't take issue with the fact that elements of this television commercial and elements of the radio ad have a negative twist to them. And that's what turned things really ugly. From Last 5% Media, I'm Joseph Radota, and this is Oppofile. Mike Pence! In January 1988, a 29-year-old lawyer named Mike Pence announced he was running for Congress in Indiana's 2nd District. The congressional district, district number two at the time, was center-right. Um, it was very conservative, sort of a Main Street type of conservatism. They supported overwhelmingly a Republican presidents. That's Billy Linville. He was a top aide to the Democrat who represented the 2nd District, Phil Sharp. But Phil, um, who was elected in the Watergate class in 1974, uh, was able to maintain that seat because he focused a great deal on constituent services. And he really built a reputation as an honest and decent person who, while you may disagree sometimes with his votes, his heart is always in the right place and he cares about the people of the 2nd District and will fight for them. Pence said his campaign would be about issues. I don't think churning up people by making attacks is good government or good long-term politics, he told a local paper. This will not be a nasty or mean-spirited campaign. But his tone changed pretty quickly. By spring, he said he would be as confrontational as possible. We're going to take hard, clean punches at the man and what he's done in Congress, he added. Phil Sharp was a professor uh, when he was elected, and he would maintain that professorial uh, approach to politics. So he was very fact-driven. He approached things in a very cognizant way. He was not um, a regular politician. He would uh, resist engaging any hyperbole or any um, overt attacks on his opponent. So it was, it was uh, certainly against his nature to really go toe-to-toe against an opponent. So in 1988, Mike Pence is 29 years old. He's just graduated from law school. Uh, he's just gotten married. He, he doesn't really have much other than those two lines on his, uh, on his life tally sheet. This is Craig Fairman. He's a journalist and historian born and raised in Indiana. 
And when he decides to run for Congress in what was in the second district in the state, it surprised a lot of people because there was a very popular Democratic incumbent named Phil Sharp, and Mike Pence was, was a nobody. Nobody had heard of him. Pence, the political novice, campaigned in an unorthodox way, by bicycle. I can easily picture actor and environmentalist Ed Begley Jr. campaigning by bike, not Mike Pence. So it takes a bit of imagination. Pence would ride a bicycle around the district to meet with people. You know, he really tried to present himself as this young outsider. His hair was already going gray. He kind of, you know, famously has that gray hair now. So even at 29, his dark hair was already starting to to go gray. But he was just, you know, using this this image of the bicycle-riding populist outsider who was going to knock off the incumbent and, and fight for the people of Indiana's 2nd District. Pence promised to be as confrontational as possible, and that's exactly what happened. In June, Pence announced he would not take PAC money. He attacked Sharp for accepting more than a million dollars in PAC contributions. Pence attacked Sharp as a Dukakis liberal. That's a reference to the Democratic nominee for president that year, Michael Dukakis, the governor of Massachusetts. And Pence sat out a mailer featuring a rolled-up $50 bill, a razor blade, and a pile of cocaine, calling Sharp weak on drug issues. In November, Mike Pence lost to Phil Sharp by six points, 53 to 47%. He lost, but it was a lot closer than anybody expected it to be. It was a setback, to be sure, but Pence was just getting started. Sharp aide Billy Linville. But quickly, uh, Pence made it clear that he was going to challenge Sharp again in 1990. In early 1990, Pence announced his second run for Congress. The rematch got attention at the highest levels of Washington. It was, uh, I think, ranked in the top 10 uh, congressional competitive seats in the country at the time, so there was a lot of attention on it. And during the year between his defeat and uh, his running again, he had seemed to really develop contacts at a national level, uh, especially from the fundraising perspective. Looking back at his first campaign two years before, Pence expressed frustration. He blamed his defeat on the narrow scope of issues. He said he focused too much on campaign finance reform, an issue not many people cared about. He blamed his campaign staff for that. Opposition research against an opponent and actually uh, against yourself is, is very important. Because you, you know, research against yourself, you can anticipate and plan for any attacks that may come. And opposition against an opponent is very important because you want to see if there's any legal or tax issues in that person's past, um, whether you can confirm his education and his biography that he has issued. You want to check his voting record to see if, if he's voted in past elections and his consistency on important issues, if, if there's any documentation of that. Pence told the Muncie Evening Press that this time his campaign would be positive based on issues and records, not empty charges. In 1988, Phil Sharp mostly ignored Pence's attacks. Sharp's campaign conducted no opposition research. This time would be different. Yes, we were certainly ready for him in 1990. Pence based his his campaign around uh, attacking Phil Sharp on receiving PAC money because he said that was special interest money that made him beholden to his contributors. And that was his primary message along with his personal message of his Christianity and his faith. And he was very effective at that during the first uh, half of the campaign. And it was probably a very close race. He was, 
I think, uh, very competitive from a financial point of view. He um, was able to build a solid grassroots energetic network throughout the district. And I and a lot of other people were, were pretty nervous about the situation. Billy Linville saw the importance of oppo research, but where to start? Up until then, you know, as I said, there wasn't really anything uh, that you could grab a hold of against Mike Pence. He was a very orthodox Republican. He had not been uh, a public figure previous to 1988, so there just really wasn't uh, much information on him. So that made the campaign finance reports the best tool to really dig in and, and find out who Mike Pence was. Candidates for office must disclose their donors, as well as where they spend their campaign funds. Oppo researchers today simply look up the campaign finance reports on the Internet. Federal campaigns for President, Senate, and the House of Representatives are online at fec.gov. State campaign finances are reported by top election officials in each state, usually the Secretary of State. Some cities put campaign reports online for city council candidates, people running for mayor, or other local offices. In 1990, that information wasn't widely available online, certainly not in Indiana. So uh, when I had to physically go to the state house in the Secretary of State's office and, and pick up a physical copy of the report. So um, the first day they were available, I think July 7th of that year, I went to pick up the campaign report of Mike Pence and I vividly recall it. It was a very hot day, and I took it outside, and I sat down on the steps to go over his reports. And when I started looking at his expenditures, it was very alarming in an electrifying way because, you know, right before my eyes, I realized then and there that we were going to beat Mike Pence. Linville drove back to the Sharp campaign office in Muncie. He faxed the reports to the campaign consultants and other key staff. The reports showed that Pence had used more than $10,000 in campaign funds for his personal expenses. A series of $992 mortgage payments on the Pence family home, monthly payments of $222.18 to Indiana National Bank for his wife's car, payments to credit card companies, grocery bills, traffic tickets, an entry fee for a golf tournament, and this was on top of $11,250 Pence reported in April as personal income from his campaign committee. He built his entire campaign around attacking Phil for accepting PAC money because that made him beholden to his contributors. And Mike Pence wasn't going to do that. He is going to be independent and only uh, represent the people. And that campaign finance report completely blew up that message. And I think voters are very forgiving, but one thing they are very reluctant to forgive is if there's hypocrisy or a double standard by a candidate. So then the question became, how does this information become public? As with all oppo research, finding something good is just the first step. The next challenge is to get the information into the public domain. And obviously it's much more effective if the Sharp campaign does not publicly release that information. So we decided the best way to do that was to uh, leak it to a reporter in uh, Johnson County. We chose that particular news outlet because it would get receive Indianapolis newspaper coverage. Johnson County was a suburb of Indianapolis. And so once it picked up Indianapolis coverage, then um, I think the TV and other newspapers throughout the, the district would pick it up. 
The explosive information first appeared in the Daily Journal on July 14th. Pence said he wasn't embarrassed by the disclosures. I need to make a living, he said. It will be a sad day when only incumbents and rich people run for office. The Sharp campaign then turned up a quote from Mike Pence two years earlier. He said it was unethical and wrong for incumbents elected to Congress before 1980 to convert campaign funds to personal use after their retirement. A Sharp aide asked, how is it converting campaign funds for personal use before an election any different? And it was a big deal. It was the decisive moment in that 1990 rematch. Indiana journalist and author Craig Fairman. Because once it became clear that Pence was using this money in a way that was technically legal, but but certainly undercut his image as this populist outsider, um, he, he didn't have anything to run on. He didn't have a message. He had run in 1988 as this populist outsider, and now he was using campaign funds to keep his lifestyle um, up to the standards that he wanted. And it, it effectively killed the campaign. As Pence dealt with the fallout, Phil Sharp went back to work. He focused on his congressional duties. He asked aide Billy Linville to handle Mike Pence going forward. So I stood in for him on several forums and other public events in which she and I would stand side by side and uh, take questions. And, you know, I tried to stay on the theme of him putting campaign contributor money into his own pocket. And he would be red-faced and he would even preface what I was going to say before I said it and try to rationalize it, but it didn't work. In August, Pence said that although using campaign funds for personal expenses was perfectly legal, he wouldn't do it anymore. That didn't solve the political mess he'd gotten himself into. His fundraising shortly thereafter um, went away, and his campaign had, I think, a lot of problems funding itself and paying its uh, campaign workers. Also, his grassroots network clearly suffered, and he did not have that energy around him or his campaign. And I remember him making the statement that he was no longer going to use funds for personal use. But of course, I think we came back with the challenge him to pay the money back, which he refused to do. And we kept that issue front and center, especially in the earned media. His campaign was just methodically uh, shrinking every day. But Mike Pence didn't give up. And that's what turned things really ugly. I don't take issue with the fact that elements of this television commercial and elements of the radio ad have a negative twist to them. Three weeks before Election Day, Mike Pence aired a television ad featuring a man dressed in Arab clothing. He was wearing sunglasses, his hands covered in jewels, with a desert landscape in the background. In a thick Middle Eastern accent, the man says, My people would like to thank you Americans for buying so much of our oil. The man then claps his hands and says, Oh, thank you, Phil Sharp. Luckily for me and my camels, Sharp spent more time raising money from energy companies than he did on oil policy. An actor posing as an Arab, thanking Pence opponent Phil Sharp for American dependence on foreign oil. This year, I had uh, just left the campaign office and was going to meet a couple professor friends from Ball State University uh, for a cocktail. Phil Sharp's campaign manager, Billy Linville. We sat down and the evening news was on. And this ad just popped up right in front of us. A man dressed in stereotypical Arab clothing who was clearly trying to mimic uh, Saddam Hussein. And it was a Pence commercial attacking Phil Sharp. And our jaws just dropped to the floor and it looked like a cheap Saturday Night Live skit. It uh, was almost comical in retrospect. 
He rushed back to the campaign headquarters to prepare a response. We made sure that we got it out to national groups, especially those you know focused on fighting any type of racism or stereotypes. The executive director of the Arab American Institute in Washington wrote Pence directly, urging him to withdraw the ad. More than 200 members of Indianapolis's Arab American community denounced the ad as well. We didn't want to become part of the story because it was universally derided. So we allowed others to talk about that, and, and you know, we stayed focused on our own messaging. If I felt the ad was racist, I wasn't going to run it. Pence told the Associated Press. His campaign manager said the ad was hard-hitting, but with a degree of comedy. Pence added, It does not invite you to laugh at Arabs, but it does invite you to laugh. Local newspapers weren't laughing. An editorial in the Shelbyville News slammed Pence for the ad, which it attacked for its ethnic slurs and inaccuracies. The writer said, Mike Pence's gutter brand of politics has sunk to a new low. And for the Pence campaign, that's saying something. Pence lost that election, this time by more than 18 points, a landslide. I find this is the most disgusting race I've ever been in, Sharp told a local newspaper. Pence blamed voter disenchantment with President Bush and Sharp's negative campaign ads, anything but his own campaign. I saw him for the first time since the campaign about eight or ten years ago. It was at the... uh, birthday celebration of former Governor Otis Bowen. He was 95. And uh, so I walked up to Pence and I was unaware, you know, how he would receive me because it was very, very bitter and upsetting experience between the two of us. But it was very collegial and we slapped each other on the back and laughed and joked. And he said that uh, he actually brought up my name um, previously and a week or so ago and said that I was the best political assassin he ever came across. So I told him I would wear that as a badge of honor. He'd run for Congress twice, and he said that I'm done running. You know, I've taken two shots at it. Elected politics are not for me. In October 1991, less than a year after losing his second campaign for Congress, Mike Pence published an essay titled Confessions of a Negative Campaigner. He starts out by just saying very flatly, negative campaigning is wrong. That's a quote from early in the essay. And then he sort of explains why he thinks it's wrong. Pence wrote that political pros advise candidates to go negative because it drives voters. He added that this advice is given to Democrats and Republicans alike, although negative ads work better for Democrats. But it would be ludicrous, he continued, to argue that negative campaigning is unfair. His point is that it's a missed opportunity, that if you attack someone with negative political ads, that's money you could spend on positive political ads that instead define your ideas and advocate for your beliefs and push the country in the direction you want to go. Um, a quote from the from the essay that really stands out to me, especially in 2020, especially thinking how Mike Pence approaches politics now, is he says, quote, a campaign ought to be about the advancement of issues whose success or failure is more significant than that of the candidate. As confessions go, it seems a little sorry, not sorry. Pence got in a final dig. He wrote, Yes, it was personally wrong for me to waste my moment and limited campaign dollars talking about how an opponent might or might not have financed a retreat. It's not clear what Pence was referring to. There was no mea culpa where he said, you know, I'm sorry for that that ad where I, uh, you know, used negative stereotypes to, to slander my opponent. There was nothing like that. Mike Pence was demolished by oppo research. 
His own campaign finance reports blew his candidacy to pieces, and his attacks on Sharp with a cheesy ad backfired. Ultimately, Pence really had more to risk than to gain from Oppo Research, and so writing that essay denouncing it was a shrewd move. Phil Sharp later told author Kate Anderson Brower he couldn't recall ever receiving a personal apology from Mike Pence. It didn't come across as sincere because there was no, any, no, no personal outreach of any kind. Looking back, Sharp said Pence was Midwest nice. Billy Linville explains the term. It's sort of the equivalent in the South of bless your soul, meaning that you're, you're very nice uh, on the outside, but uh, on the inside, you're not very nice at all. Mike Pence's notorious commercial from 1990, the one in which a man dressed as an Arab and speaking in a Middle Eastern accent, seems to have disappeared. Craig Fairman has tried to track it down several times. I tried everywhere. I applied to university archives that kept old campaign footage. Couldn't find it anywhere. I applied to a university archive at Vanderbilt University and got some of Pence's old campaign ads, but they did not have this particular ad. Nobody in Indiana can find the ad. Like, if you talk to anybody who's been in Indiana politics for the last couple decades, they know the ad, but the video is just, it, it can't be found. So as far as I know, the footage of it doesn't exist. Journalists, and I'm sure Democratic Oppo researchers, have been looking for that commercial as well. Yes, I've been contacted, um, you know, throughout the years, even when he was running for governor, to, to try to, to, if I could lo- help locate a copy of that uh, infamous commercial, but uh, to no avail. I did have a VHS copy of it at one time, and it would probably be worth a lot of money right now. In the next episode of Oppo File, my name is Geraldine Ferraro. We'll go back to 1984 when Democratic presidential nominee Walter Mondale made history by selecting a woman as his running mate, and Republicans launched an Oppo research effort that remained hidden for 36 years. Do it secretly, not let it be known around the campaign that this is what we were doing, or let it be known talking around with our friends, uh, people in politics, uh, certainly no one in the press. Join us for the next episode of Oppofile. Oppofile is a production of Last 5% Media. Our production manager is Caitlin Bruce. Our sound engineer is Jeremy Damas. Our researchers are Adam Melian and Lisa Wang. Andrew Greenwood is our designer, and our website is by Edgar Guerra. We'd like to thank Workhouse Media, Studio To Be, Chris George, Gary Maloney, Cassandra Pye, District Productive, R Street Recording, and our listeners and guests. For more information on this podcast, check out our website at www.opofile.com or follow us on Facebook or Twitter at Opofile. If you enjoyed this episode of Opofile, please subscribe and leave a five-star review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now and share Opofile with your friends. Thanks for listening and please join us on the next episode of Opofile.